Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss. I'm Ulysses Sombrano. Host of Locked On Rays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making Locked On Rays your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Rays is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. And you can email us, LockedOnRays at gmail.com. Also, if you want to support what we're doing with the podcast and want an opportunity to be a one-time guest co-host, visit buymeacoffee.com slash raiseunfiltered. That's buymeacoffee.com slash raiseunfiltered. We'll put that link in the podcast description as well. Okay, Ulysses, uh, we didn't lie. We have more of Jack Lebowski, part two of our four-part conversation with him. And this time, I think it's going to be, if you like pitching ninja videos and you're also a race fan, you're going to enjoy the heck out of this episode because Jack goes over his pitching repertoire, how he attacks hitters, what the difference is between the planning of maybe the top of the lineup and the in-game adjustments that he might have to do uh, within an outing. He also goes uh, over his relationship with his battery mate, how important that relationship is throughout the season the learning curve from uh, from from being a guy at Duke to then professional baseball. And of course, maybe one of my favorite uh, things to ask uh, players is their, their, their drafter. They're, they're getting the, the call up and we get to see, uh, you know, get to know Jack's story of uh, getting drafted. Yeah. And you know what? He's made a pretty quick ascent through the minor leagues for being a guy that was a 22nd round draft pick. And we know the Rays, they don't care if you're drafted in the first round, the fifth round, the 10th round, the 30th round. If you can pitch and you can bring it and you have some smarts to you and you do something a little bit different and unconventional, they can find a little bit of a spot for you. So don't be surprised if even if Jack Lebowski doesn't have the prospect profile of a Shane Boz, how many people do nowadays, but uh, you know, just because he's not necessarily a top 100 prospect does not mean he's uh, not going to get an opportunity in the big leagues. He very well can and, and seems to be on track for that at some point. So uh, here we go. Part two of our conversation with Jack Lebowski. Uh, you talked about the, the switching from a, a swingman to a, a starter. Had you always seen yourself as a starter and, the, and this was like, finally, they see me as a starter or are you like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do this. Yeah. I mean, I have always kind of had a hunch that starting was an option. Um, coming out of college, I hadn't started, I think, but one game at Duke just because I had done the two-way thing. So I'd play third all game and then come in and close the game out late. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't opposed to being a later in the game kind of guy. I'm real comfortable coming out of the bullpen. Um, but just kind of the way moving up through the system, the way my stuff plays in game um, kind of pointed me toward the direction of, Hey, you know, you'd have a, you'd have an easier time as a starter, just a lot of ground balls, not a lot of walks, efficient innings. I'm going to give up a few runs here and there. Uh, but when you're coming out of the bullpen late in the game, if you give up two runs, that could mean you lost. So it's just a little different mindset uh, coming out as a starter and being able to play the chess game of pitching as opposed mm-hmm. to later in, in the pen, you're trying to blow the doors off guys as fast as possible. So um, I'm kind of open to 
you know, whatever the team needs realistically, but I was definitely, definitely satisfied with becoming a starter there toward the end of the year. That's a good mindset to have Ulysses because the Rays definitely are non-traditional in yeah. their pitching roles and how they deploy uh, their resources and bodies with that. Um, Jack, for people that may not know, uh, can you give a brief breakdown of your pitching repertoire and what you're looking to hope to fine tune and improve in 2022 and beyond? Yeah. So I'm, I've been traditionally a sinker baller, um, sinker slider, change up cutter, um, mm-hmm. but mostly just a ton of command. I think the sinker has been big in that I can locate both sides of the plate so I can front door a lefty or I can bury it under the hands of a righty uh, when I need to but it gets a lot of weak contact. So I'm looking for quick outs, a lot of ground balls. Um, this past year I used cutter a lot more and specifically I'd go cutter up in the zone. And that might've been a big change too in September that later in the year, I started going up in the zone with the cutter mm-hmm. and being a, a sinker baller. I'm not used to pitching above the belt because that's where all the damage comes from. So right. it was kind of changing my, my perspective from in, in and out, in and out to working up and down in the zone. Um, and then just, you know, staying ahead. So four pitch mix, I'll kind of throw any pitch in any count. Um, and just looking for the hitter to kind of get themselves out. If, if I get to two strikes, you know, I'll go for a strikeout and try and get the strikeout pitch to work. But if I'll get the guy to ground out in two pitches, I'd take that all day long. Talk about an entertaining uh, yeah. pitcher to watch kitchen sink with command. My goodness. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. get these yeah. outs over quickly. <laughs> we don't need a three and a half hour ball game. Let's, you know, one, two pitches, we get an out. And, and go about our day. I love that stuff. Is there, in terms of what you bring to the table, is there a pitcher or two that you kind of model your game after you kind of look to, okay, I, I kind of do things similar to this guy that, you know, is maybe a recognizable name in the big leagues. Um, well, an old school in the big leagues guy, Greg Maddox, uh, okay. you know, just staying ahead, tons of strikes. The guy barely walked anyone. Um, for the, let's say from like the Rays perspective, I'd be like a right-handed Yarborough, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, gotcha. kind of the, it's hard with the Rays Cause they've got, they've got all kinds. They got Thompson. Who's from down low. They've got mm-hmm. glass now throwing a hundred boss throwing a hundred McClanahan throwing a hundred. So it's, it's harder for me to relate to those guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from the Rays, probably like Yarborough, you know, staying ahead, um, just from the right side. Now, we, we had Colin Poche on, uh, on the show and he was talking about pitchers meetings and, you know, I, I wanted to get the behind the scenes. So can you, can you talk us through how those go in double a, is there a lot of information being thrown at you? Is it really simple? Who is in the meeting? Who's leading the meeting? Can, can you talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of, of pitchers meetings? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sure it's different in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got tons of data. Um, and they probably got a ton of staff in, in the room also going over that same data. Um, but for us in double A, it was the manager, pitching coach, and sometimes a hitting coach would come in just for a different perspective on, you know, how to, how to attack guys, what they might be looking for from a hitting side. But, mm-hmm. um, there was, there was good information, but I would say for the most part, a lot of it was, you know, you're in double A and the Rays organization is arguably the best in baseball from top to bottom. So a lot of times the, the, the manager Morgan Ensberg would come in and be like, Hey guys, um, you guys are really, really good. And just <laughs> go out there and do what you do. Um, but no, I mean, realistically with, with, um, the, the level of double a baseball, there is a little bit of a drop off at a certain point. 
you know, once you start getting to the lower half of some lineups, you're going to face guys who just, you can overpower, you can kind of play with. Um, not every time there are definitely teams that are stacked, but mm-hmm, sure. it's usually those first four or five hitters. You have a real plan to go after them a certain way. And then a lot of times you'll just adjust to what they're doing in game. So, um, we had some guys like Tommy Romero, who's a big fastball up in the zone guy. And he, some games will be able to get through the lineup two times with nothing but fastballs up, curveball down, fastball up. That's three strikes. You're gone. Or, you know, they get a lot of pop-ups, stuff like that. Now, if he's getting barreled, then he'll come in and the pitching coach will talk and the, the manager will talk and they'll say, hey, what's different? And they'll talk to the catcher as well. And what's different? What do we have to change up? And you'll make a lot of decisions on the fly to face the next three, four, five guys the next inning. Um, so they've got the information available to you in the dugout. Those pitchers meetings, though, for sure, are pretty general, mm-hmm. well-rounded for who they normally have in the lineup. And then a lot of it's just go do what you do and execute like you know how to. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because they taste so good you'll want to eat them. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. That's not Built Bar. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Well, guess what? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. You talk about the first five hitters. Let's say that this is this is this, the scenario. The first five hitters are, are the ones that you have a really uh, a big plan for six through nine. You're like, okay, I'll 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 do it on the fly. How easy is it to get on the same page with your catcher? Being a guy that has four four pitches, and if you feel okay, I, I can throw the cutter. I have my sinker. I have my slider. Like, how easy is it for him to be like, no nah, sinker? And you're like, no, bro, I got that cutter though. <laughs> so how, how difficult is it to get on the same page with that catcher when you're just on the fly? It definitely changes the deeper you get into the season. Obviously at the beginning of the year, new faces, new pitchers, new catchers. It's all, you know, learning each other as a player, what your tendencies are. Um, and and it, it helps keep guys accountable, especially in those beginning of the year parts where, maybe a pitcher gets into a habit of going to the same pitch every time in a tight situation, you know, the catcher will see that a lot better than if, you know, they've been pitching together for the past three or four years um, Mm -hmm. or whatnot. So it it takes a minute to get used to it, but a lot of the time toward the middle of the year, there's a definite groove that everyone kind of falls into and you learn the, the catchers learn the pitchers and the pitchers learn the catchers. And even there'll be times, like I said, I'll throw, most any pitch, any count, there'll be times where say I've gone, you know, two innings and things have been great. And, um, you know, whatever me and the catcher's vibe is, is going well. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of, I'll, I'll lean into that where maybe I'm on the mound. I'm ready for the pitch call. He'll call something like a slider. And I was thinking change up, but I'll, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, well, sounds good to me. Like it's been working <laughs> all game. And, you know, it's just kind of, it, I think it gets lost on, um, some folks deep, deep in the strategy, but man, hitting is so hard. Hitting is so <laughs> hard. And, and for the most part, uh, the best pitch is the one that you can execute in the zone. So okay, maybe there's a day change up is just not working, not working at all. You talk to the catcher for two seconds. You go, Hey man, 
this pitch isn't working, they're getting a heavy dose of slider cutter. You know what I mean? So it's, it's more of a relationship than it is, uh, you know, steadfast strategy game. Interesting. Uh, for you, uh, Jack, what was sort of the biggest adjustment or the biggest change in gameplay and competition from you played high level college ball, ACC, Duke university, uh, going from Duke to the professional ranks, how much of a learning curve was there, uh, going from college to pro ball, or, or did you not really notice that, okay, these guys are really, really good until you got to high a double a, et cetera. No, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely a curve. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the style of play. Um, in a college season, you've got 56 games and you're playing uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and mm-hmm. then like a Tuesday or Wednesday game. So there's a lot more practice and then you go play the game and each game in college baseball is so high leverage. And I think, I think for myself included, but a ton of players, you put a lot more pressure on yourself in those games. Like when we would go, and play NC state, you know, at their place on a Friday night, you're thinking, okay, their Friday night guy is probably a top five rounder. They're all, everyone's locked in. There's a big crowd, all the stuff you get this real pressure situation, even just like in the first inning. Um, and it's like that because you go from this Friday, then Saturday, Sunday, then you go that Friday, then Saturday, Sunday. So each Friday is like this world series game one type game <laughs> where, where in pro ball, when you get around to August, you're like, what day is it? Who are we playing? Like what city are we in? You kind of, you kind of lose sight of kind of where you are in the season. Um, which makes for, I think a more consistent product, a more consistent game. Um, just because, you know, if, if you're playing a day game in July, you're going to go out there and you're going to play to the best that you can. But a lot of the times it's a more relaxed feel. The whole team is just, you know, kind of doing their thing and, and trusting their own abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get, you get a lower pressure situation um, in pro ball, but I think that makes for, you know, it brings out the really good players. And so when you get into the higher levels of pro ball, high a double a, and I'm sure triple a is the same way. It's like these guys can produce day in and day out for 160 games all the time. And so your mistakes kind of mm-hmm. are amplified in that way that there's really no gimmies anymore. College baseball, there's definitely some players who don't make it to the minors and not saying that it's a real gimme, but sometimes there's gimme outs, gimme hits. It's just the nature of the beast. So right. definitely a learning curve and definitely I would say a more consistent high level going up the ladder. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on L O C K E D O N. Again, that's L O C K E D O N to get started with that generous welcome bonus from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022 bet online. It is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. And it's where the game starts. 
I know Jack that your goal, like every other pro ball player's goal is to eventually make it to the show and play in the big leagues, play in MLB. But I got to imagine there's a little part of you that is kind of relishing going to AAA and, and getting that experience in Durham. I mean, the, the Duke university connection and then playing for the Durham bulls. Have you, have you given some thought about, man, it's like, Hey, I've, I think I've been here before. I think I've been in this city. I've been, been around town a little bit. Just are, are you kind of in a way looking forward to putting on that bulls uniform and being in that, ha- uh, that town again? Yeah. And it's funny you say that. Cause in, um, in 2019, I actually went up there at the end of the season um, as like an alternate, I think I got oh. rostered for one game and I didn't get into the game. So I didn't, there's nothing logged on the internet that says I was ever there, <laughs> but it was fun. It was a good time. I got to go up, you know, be in the same stadium that I played in, um, be in the same town that I played in. And it's, it's a different, even from, even from double A to triple A, it's a different style of baseball because mm-hmm. in triple A you've got journeymen who are, you know, 30 some years old have been professional ball players their whole life. And then you've got, prospects like wander who are you know 20 years old Mm -hmm. and you gotta mix them together so um no i'm definitely looking forward to the chance to go up there and um you know play for the bulls it's it's one of the biggest names in minor league baseball on top of that too so Mm -hmm. that's a fun experience in and of self but no the relationships i've built um you know in durham i think it'd be great to get back and see a lot of those guys and um no definitely i'm definitely looking forward to making it there at some point it's always nice to go to a place where you know where the best pizza place is, you know, oh, where man. the burger. So you already, so you already have that, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I know that town. I know that town, like the back of my hand, it was, it was a fun four years being there at Duke. And then, um, you know, that, that 2018 year when I was working on the bus, we were there. So I got half a decade of experience there in Durham and I would be more than excited to go back. Awesome. Um, you know, w- let's talk about that, that move you said from, from college to a pro ball, you were selected by the race in the 22nd round of the 2018 draft. How familiar were you with the organization? Had they been the ones pursuing you throughout that process or when they picked you, you were like, Holy crap. Oh, it's the race. It could have been the Rangers, the Yankees or the Red Sox. I, I didn't know who was going to pick me. Yeah. So, so for me, it was, it was a strange situation in that I thought in, um, 2017, I had the oper- the chance to get drafted and I thought I was, you know, good enough player to make it happen. But the way things work out, um, I think Duke being the school that it is most probably thought I wouldn't have, you know, gone in the draft if I hadn't been, you know, top three rounder or something like that. Right. So the, it just worked out kind of the way it was supposed to. And I ended up finishing at school. And then, um, it was funny cause I was super stressed about the draft. I knew, I know for sure, like I'm not a first rounder. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Day one, congratulations to everyone who got drafted. Congratulations. My buddy, uh, Griffin Conine was taken super early. So we had fun with him. Um, and so like we were able to relish in that. And then as time goes on, you start thinking a little bit more, you're like, am I even going to get picked? We're getting late in this thing. Like (laughs) what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, and, um, I ended up actually getting the call during practice. So I didn't get to pick up my phone. So I'm at practice doing our thing we're getting ready, uh, to go to Texas tech for a super regional. Um, and then I, I checked my phone. I had the phone call and man, it was just this wave of relief and all kinds of emotions calling my parents. You know, I'm like crying on the phone because <laughs> it's what you dream of from yeah. the time you're a little kid. You want to be, you know, in professional baseball and it's different too. Cause I mean, you hear about the minor leagues, but everyone, you know, when you get drafted, you're like, man, I'm going to be in the show in like a year and a half. I got no problem. <laughs> I'm going to get there. 
And so I think everyone who gets drafted has these lofty dream kind of type goals, but um, yeah. no, I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable experience to, you know, be drafted and, and I had no idea that it would be the raise. Um, but once I had been drafted, you know, I kind of did a little bit more digging. Okay. This is the team that selected me. Let's see what they're about. See what everyone's talking about. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, I've been fortunate to be picked by, you know, a team with crazy good reputation of developing players and a crazy good reputation of finding talent um, where others may not find it. And yeah. so I've been super fortunate to be with the Rays. So talking about uh, the draft in 2018, you get to the organization, you do some digging. What's that digging that they did on you? What's the thing that they said, hey, Jack, we think that if you do this, you could be successful. Can you, can you take us through that conversation? Yeah, I think um, that initial year for me was a lot of just the transition from uh, college ball to pro ball. But as things kind of develop, the Rays have always wanted me to continue what I've been doing with throwing strikes, continue what I've been doing with quick outs. Um, and it, it's been pleasantly surprising that they haven't really messed with the sinker at all. Um, I, I know it's been a crazy trend to start getting carry on the ball, starting to get carry on everything, but you know, they're not an organization that's going to really change up everything about a guy. They like to take what the player is and use it to their best ability. So, right. um, for me, a lot of, uh, a big piece of the puzzle has just been thrown a little harder, um, and kind of fine tuning all the stuff that I've always done really. So, um, I've, I've always typically been. 88 miles an hour with sink and throwing a lot of strikes, but trying to get a sharper slider, a little more velo on the fastball, and then just becoming a more well-rounded pitcher in terms of strategy. You know, I would give up a ton of two strike hits on, cause I, I'm a fill up the zone guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, in college ball, you just keep filling up the zone no matter the count. And then you got to learn to adjust where, okay, if they're in a strikeout situation, you don't want them making contact because in the big leagues, there's potential for it to go over the fence or down the line for a double, that kind of thing. You know, as you have a higher competition, those mistakes that you make as a pitcher are just exacerbated to the highest potential. So for me, it's always been changing kind of, okay, if I go from, oh, oh, get a ground out, perfect. But if I get ahead and then, you know, maybe he swings at a slider, now I'm oh, two, learning that I don't have to throw a strike here. I don't have to you know, fill up the zone anymore. I get to make a quality pitch outside the zone and kind of make the hitter do what I want to do, as opposed to always just filling up the zone and seeing what happens. So there's been a lot of change, but also just a lot of the same. All right. Thank you again for making the Lockdown Race podcast your first listen every day. Now be sure to make your second listen, the Locked on Bets podcast. That is also free and available on all platforms. Hope you all Have a wonderful day and stay safe.